Well, when I was a kid, one of my friends had what I was convinced was the coolest closet in the whole world. You would open it, and I swear there was like a light around it. Ah, and it was just a stack of board games from the floor all the way to the ceiling. Maybe your friends have that closet. Just me. Oh, man, I was so, I was so jealous. It was stacked absolutely full of board games, and what could be better than that? What's better than that? I mean, maybe some things, but to me as a kid, what was better than that? Because I loved board games as a kid, and actually still do. Um, and now as a grown-up, I have my very own, not a whole closet, but a whole stack of board games in our house, and they are so fun. They are so fun. They're supposed to be so fun. <laughs> board games were made to give us a way to relax, to connect with our family and our friends, to relax and have a good time. Not in my house. In our house, board games are cutthroat. This is serious business. Settlers of Catan is every man and woman for themselves. Ticket to Ride is a death match. There are certain board games in our home where we got so competitive, we've had to put them away. Like, we're not allowed to play them. The four of us, Rumi Cube, forget it. Like, we can't even look at it. And it's not that we don't love each other. Our family is actually super tight. Uh, but there is no family in board games. There's just not. Everyone's out for himself, which means any helpful behavior is regarded with the highest level of suspicion. So, like, we'll be playing Catan, and someone will ask, what are you doing? What are you, what's your next move? They're not trying to help you. They're not going to give you their resources. They want to know where you're going to build your next road. Not so they can help you build it, so they can build one there. And not because they need a road there, but just so you can't. That's how we play board games in our house. And so life has made cynics of us all, hasn't it? Life has made cynics of us. Cynicism is something we have all learned along the way. By definition, cynicism is this belief that most, if not all, people are motivated by their own self-interest, what's in it for themselves, even if they're doing something that might look helpful at first, that really it's about number one. And there are a few of you that were born cynics. Like you came out and you're like, I don't trust anybody in this room. Like you were born that way. But most of us earned our cynicism along the way. Someone hurt you. Somebody tricked you. You grew up and you saw the awful things people do to each other. And now any hope that you had in humanity, well, it's gone. Things, because it's, someone might seem to be truly good, but really everyone's a lost cause. And you learned along the way you might as well believe the worst about people because if you believe anything else, well, you'll be disappointed. And to be honest... There's some truth in that. There's some truth in that. People really can be the worst. All of us are guilty of one time or another of doing things for selfish reasons. So, cynics, you are not entirely off base. But cynicism is not the whole picture. So for those of you that have given up on, like, people in general, stay with me. And let's look at something from the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, 
Not one thing came into being. So we looked at this scripture not long ago in church as we talked about the Trinity. Some of you might remember and who Jesus is in regards to the Trinity. And there's this big, heady theology to fully understand what John's talking about here. But for our purposes today, all we need to know is the word that John is talking about is Jesus. John goes on. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. All right, so Jesus is not only the word, Jesus is the light. And John says this light shines into the darkness. And I love this because John doesn't pretend there's not darkness. John knows what we know, that things are far from perfect, that people are far from perfect. So instead of denying the darkness, John reminds us that Jesus came into the darkness. And when we read this verse, we usually think about the darkness of the world, right? We think about all that stuff out there, and that's a good reading. With the coming of Jesus, God broke into the whole world in a way that changed everything and everybody forever. Jesus came to change the world. But Jesus also came to change me and to change you personally. So for today, we're going to read the verse that way. The light of Jesus shines into the darkness in each of us. Jesus shines a light on your sin and your brokenness and your selfishness. The Bible's really honest about what it means to be human. The Bible really knows that we are all a mess most of the time. And this verse is no exception. So into the darkness, into all that stuff that we would be afraid to admit to one another, Jesus comes in. And that should make all of us a little uneasy, doesn't it? As cynical as we are about other people, as quick as we are to notice all the ways everybody screws things up, most of us are even more aware of the ways that we miss the mark, of the ways that we've messed it up. And thinking about Jesus coming in and rooting around and all of our sin and brokenness, all that stuff, that dark stuff we hide, well, that makes us nervous. But look at what John says next. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Y'all, that's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus shines into us, and the darkness does not overcome it. In other words, no matter how bad you are, no matter what you think you've done, Jesus still comes into your life. There is no darkness in you more powerful than God. Nothing. And when Jesus comes in, he starts changing things. Rearranges the furniture. <laughs> changes it up. There's nothing you've done that's so bad that Jesus is going to look at you and know about you and throw up his hands and walk away. So on the one hand, if you're cynical about people, you are right. People are really broken. And there's a lot of darkness in people, and in us too, if we're honest. But on the other hand, if you believe the God who was born in Bethlehem changed the whole world, 
don't give up hope that that God changes people too. You don't have to believe in people. You have to believe in a God who changes people. All right, before my diehard cynics panic, or like, what's she up to? What's she doing? Yeah, I see you, cynics. Yeah, let's talk for a minute before we go on. Listen to that statement. You don't have to believe in people. This should be a relief to you because that's what you're going to do anyway. I'm, tell- I'm not telling you you should walk around with a Pollyanna smile on your face and think, you know, everyone truly is wonderful. This is not a movie. They're not. <laughs> Some people are okay. A very small handful are fantastic, and then there's everybody else. We know that. But you have to believe in the God who changes people because that's what God does. God changes people. Sometimes, sometimes God works a miracle and changes the worst people. And if you have, if you have someone who you've seen be horrible year after year in your life, that feels impossible. For those of you right now that are thinking about that person, that horrible person who you've seen do horrible things, and this feels impossible, here's some good news for you. God doesn't need an audience. God doesn't need you to be the audience. You can believe that God changes people, even the most horrible person in your life, and also not take a front seat to watch it happen. It's okay to distance yourself from them. So if you have that one person in your life and you're thinking, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you can change them, but if I'm near them another minute, I'm going to go under. That's okay. Take a huge step back. And instead, go out and look for what God's doing in other people. Go looking for light instead of staring into the darkness all the time. It's really easy to not believe in people. It's easy. It's much harder to take that step of believing that God can change people. Cynicism's a really hard habit to kick. Doubting people, well, that's protective. It protects you from being disappointed if you assume the worst. It helps you to keep people out there at arm's length where they can't get in and hurt you. It keeps you from feeling foolish if you believe someone was something and it turns out they're not. But it does something else too. Cynicism robs you of joy. Henry Nouwen's a famous priest, and he was, and a theologian and a writer, and we're going to read something he wrote about cynicism and joy because he says it so much better than I can. Let's listen. He says, For me, it is amazing to experience daily the radical difference between cynicism and joy. Cynics seek darkness wherever they go. They point always to approaching danger, impure motives, hidden schemes. They call trust naive, care romantic, forgiveness sentimental. They sneer at enthusiasm, ridicule spiritual fervor, and despise charismatic behavior. They consider themselves realists who see reality for what it truly is and who are not deceived by escapist emotion. Let's stop there for just a minute because some of you are like, oh, I feel seen. (laughs) He knows me. Because trusting people does feel naive. feels like child's play sometimes, right? If we trust someone, they might let you down. Forgiveness seems like a beautiful idea, But if you forgive someone, won't they hurt you again if you let them? Why escape into some idea that people maybe could be good? 
now and goes on and he says, but in belittling God's joy, their darkness only calls forth more darkness. All right, so when we're cynical, we think that if we see that darkness, that it takes away its power. If we say nobody can do good things, then we take all the power away from other people. But in reality, now and tells us it makes it worse. When we expect the worst, that's what we'll see and that's what we'll get. And then now and says this, he says, people who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness. Remember, we just saw that in John, do not deny the darkness. But they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself, and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. So what's that mean? It means we don't deny that people can be the worst, but you choose not to live in that place all the time, to let that be your focus, because you don't believe in people, and that's okay, You believe in the God who changes people and you trust him. You trust the light more than you trust the darkness because you trust that the light that changed the world can surely change that person across the table from you. All right, a little bit more of now. And he says, they point each other to flashes of light here and there and remind each other that they reveal the hidden but real presence of God. They discover, listen to this, they discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds, forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they have received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. All right. So instead of taking a front row seat to horrible people and focusing on the darkness, now and says we point out flashes of light to each other. We go looking for the presence of God instead of looking for the ways that people mess it up. And we find there are actually some really great people who are out there doing really great things as God works in them and changes them. Jesus is the antidote for our cynicism. Jesus is the antidote. And when we can put down that cynicism, what we find is joy. Isn't that what you want? Joy. Isn't that what we all want? A little more joy? We talk about joy at Christmas time all the time. We put up Christmas trees and we talk about joy. We make Christmas cookies. We exchange presents. We watch Christmas movies. Joy. And then we come to church on the third Sunday of Advent and we light the third candle for joy, which is pink. And we light that candle and we remember that no matter how dark things seem, the light of Jesus has come. And because of him... We can have joy. So every Sunday during Advent this year, we're highlighting a specific hymn or song, and today we're going to be singing Joy to the World. And this one's so familiar to us. Joy to the world, the earth is come. So familiar to us, I forgot the words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Yeah, help a girl out. All right. It's hard to sing this hymn and not feel joy, right? It's really hard to sing that hymn and be sad. Joy that Jesus has come. Joy that Jesus is the king. Joy that every heart can be embraced by a God who loved us too much to leave us just as we are. But that's not enough. It's not enough to come to church and sing joy to the world and then go out there and be like, people are the worst. No, we have to choose joy every day. 
All right, last quote from now on, I promise. But he says this. He says, every moment of the day, I have the chance to choose between cynicism and joy. Every thought can be cynical or joyful. Every word I speak can be cynical or joyful. Every action can be cynical or joyful. Increasingly, I'm aware of all these choices. And increasingly, I discover that every choice for joy in turn reveals more joy and offers more reason to make life a celebration. Every decision for joy brings joy. I might never fully abandon my cynicism. I'll be the first to confess I'm a cynic too. And I definitely will not abandon my cynicism when we play board games as a family. In fact, if you ever play a board game with Dave or I, or anyone in our family who lives in our home, you should absolutely know we can't be trusted. Like, we are in it to win, and there are no friends or family. But out there in the world, maybe we should let go of our cynicism a little bit. And when you do, you're going to be surprised by the joy you find when you do that. Because when you stop looking at darkness, you're going to see light. You're going to see people doing the kinds of things that only God can do through people. That's going to bring you joy. You're going to see someone doing something completely selfless to help and you'll feel joy. You're going to see someone forgive somebody else that never deserved it, and you're going to have joy. You're going to see people who heal and help and love for no other reason than it's who God made them to be, and you'll find joy. And for those of you who are still struggling to let it go, yeah, but people are really terrible. Remember this. God has not asked you to do anything that God wouldn't do himself and hasn't done himself. God wouldn't ask you to do it if God didn't do it first. God had every reason to be cynical about you and me. God looked at us and wasn't just guessing. God knew. God knew we were the worst. It's okay. We can admit it. We are. God knows your heart. God knows all those things you keep hidden in the corner, in the darkness. God could have given up. God could have been the cynic and said, people don't change. It's just the way they are, whatever. But no, that's not what happened. God chose to believe you were worthy of his love. God chose to believe that you could change, that we could change. And so he came as Jesus Christ, born in a manger. You don't have to believe in people, but you can believe in that God who changes people. And when you do, that's where you'll find joy.